You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The Big Fight Weekend Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is brought to you in part by mybookie.ag. MyBookie is doing everything they can to help DGENs only cash big. Use the promo code SGP for a 50% deposit bonus. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new daily fantasy sports app built specifically for player props. Download the app in the App Store and use the promo code SGP for instant deposit match up to $50. That's thrivefantasy.com, promo code SGP. Sign up and prop up today. We're also brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks from cappers and betters, including the crew from the SGPN. Better Than Vegas, it's like YouTube for sports betting. Check out all their free videos at betterthan.vegas. That's betterthan.vegas. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Yes, indeed, another weekend that will have another big-time name in action and ready to mix it up. And we're here to preview it on the BigFightWeekend.com. This time, it is Saul Canelo Alvarez coming out of mothballs, as I like to say. Uh, because of the pandemic, because of his contractual squabbles with Oscar De La Hoya, his promoter, and the DAZN streaming service, look who, lo and behold, does squeeze in a fight on the second-to-last weekend of 2020. Canelo taking on Britain's Callum Smith. We're here to preview it as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Great to have you with us wherever you're finding us. Yes, we had Errol Spence a couple of weeks ago when a convincing decision over Danny Garcia in the state of Texas, just like where this Canelo fight is, uh, defeating uh, Garcia via 12-round decision in that one. Anthony Joshua a week ago in England at the Wembley Arena scored the impressive knockout. We were previewing it this time last week. If you were with us here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, so now third successive week, closing out the year that we get a big-time name, arguably the biggest name worldwide, certainly the biggest name in North America uh, in fights is Canelo Alvarez and one of the top names worldwide to watch. 
And this has worldwide appeal, obviously, because of Callum Smith and his success, unbeaten WBA super middleweight, a champion, former World Boxing Super Series a champion over in Europe. So this will have a lot of appeal every which direction. Saturday night late, Alamo Dome, San Antonio, Texas is where the fight will take place as it came together fairly quickly once Canelo got his uh, contractual problems out of the way. So we're ready to preview that one here and have a lot of insight from a lot of different voices that will be joining me. David Payne will be back two weeks in a row, the boxing writer at boxingwriter.co.uk over in uh, England. Love his insight on all things boxing, but in specific, the British fighters, the British stars, just like he was with us previewing Anthony Joshua, his KO win of the Bulgarian Pulev in his IBF mandatory uh, title defense for the unified champ. Uh, He's here to give you insight in just a few minutes on Callum Smith. Long, lengthy 6'3", super middleweight. What kind of trouble will that pose for Canelo? I'll uh, I'll get uh, the insight of David on that. Uh, David, I can already tell you, is very skeptical, as they are in England, about is Canelo going to get a fair shake from the referee, which we'll talk about as the podcast goes along. Can he have any hope of winning a decision against Alvarez when so many decisions have gone Canelo's way? We will talk all about it with David Payne in a bit. And again, his site, boxingwriter.co.uk. Then later on in the podcast, Keith Eidek of BoxingScene.com is there in the Lone Star State prepping for this one Saturday night, writing about it in the preview mode. He'll write the recap for Boxing Scene as their senior writer of Canelo's latest bid uh, to get back into relevance, get back in our consciousness as a four-division world champion fight here in 2020. Keith will set the scene, give you insight into what it's like in San Antonio and what he thinks it will be like inside the Alamo Dome, where, again, they're going to have some 15,000 or so fans, give or take, inside of that facility that is a football multi-purpose facility. And and Gervonta Davis fought there a few weeks ago against Leo Santa Cruz uh, and had a good crowd uh, that's on hand. Canelo will have more than that. He's a bigger fan favorite, obviously, in the Southwest and the Mexican fans, uh, et cetera, that can get there, find a way to be at the fight. We'll do, uh, we'll do their best to do that coming up. So, again, Keith Eidick is there. He'll be with me. And Marquise Johns will join me. Senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, will hang with me here on the podcast to talk with Keith and preview all the action. That includes Triple G, the guy that has a controversial loss and a controversial draw against Canelo. Triple G, the IBF middleweight champion, defending that title on Friday night. Depending on when you're hearing the podcast, you may already know if Triple G won impressively. Did he struggle in his latest outing? That's his first fight of 2020, fighting a little-known contender from Poland that's an IBF mandatory challenger for him. So anyway, Marquise will have insight on that fight card Friday night, the Saturday night fight card with Canelo uh, as the main event on the Matchroom Show at the Alamo Dome, and also the PBC on Showtime card uh, from the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. He'll have more on that with Jerron Boots Ennis, uh, Ennis, uh, a welterweight unbeaten out of Philadelphia, a rising star. A lot of great welterweight prospects and contenders in and around the likes of Spence and Pacquiao, uh, the bigger names, Terrence Crawford in the 147-pound division. So Ennis gets his chance as uh, as a fighter on the PBC Showtime card coming on Saturday night. All right, uh, one more reminder. If you've not done so already, subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you find podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Radio Public, 
everywhere that you can find a podcast, subscribe to Big Fight Weekend. We come your way in the preview mode, and sometimes if it warrants it, if it's a big enough win, upset, we'll come back and recap a fight here on Big Fight Weekend. Primarily, though, previewing on uh, on Friday and Saturday, all the fights for the weekend. One stop here, and we cover it all uh, worldwide. We were writing earlier this week on the website about Tim Zhu, the Australian hero at junior middleweight, scoring a knockout in a non-title fight earlier this week. If it happens in Australia, in Europe, North America, the Far East, wherever, if they're having fights on Pluto, we're doing our best to tell you about it on this podcast and write about it on BigFightWeekend.com. So subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again publicly as well to Sean Green, Ryan Kramer, and the Sports Gambling Podcast, their network of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. They prop us up. They help promote us through their feed, their stuff. We'll have some odds. We'll have some predictions on these fights this weekend as part of our relationship with the Sports Gambling Podcast. Marquise and I will give you some betting advice a little bit later on here on the program. But again, however you found it, uh, through their social media, through their website, subscribe, and Big Fight Weekend will come automatically to you wherever you seek out podcasts. We're glad that you do that. Let's get it started. We've got fights to get to, to preview, to cover, to talk about. Uh, Straight ahead, we're going across the pond from the United States, from Florida, where I am, to England. Later on, we're going to San Antonio, Texas, on scene for the Canelo World title fight. All of that upcoming here. Let's get rolling. Yes, indeed. He did so well last weekend. He's back. He's back. He's got a streak now. Two programs in a row. We love the insight from over in the UK, Suffolk, England, to be exact. He'll correct me if I said it wrong. Uh, The boxing writer, David Payne, is back with me, not only to recap Joshua Pulev, but look ahead to Canelo Callum Smith in the unified super middleweight title fight that will be coming Saturday night, San Antonio, Texas, in the U.S., David Payne, how are you once again? Good to have you back on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Uh, it's great to be back on again, TJ, joining you chaps at the Big Fight Weekend. Um, it's great, another British fighter in the main event so for us to chat about. So, uh, as always, looking forward to it. You provide fantastic insight. I plug for the first of several times that the fans can go to your site, boxingwriter.co.uk, boxingwriter.co.uk and read up whether it's David's recap of Joshua's knockout win of Pulev, his preview materials. He's he's written about Triple G in action Friday night, defending his version of the middleweight title. He's also written in advance of Saturday night's super middleweight showdown, Canelo Callum Smith. We plug away because he deserves it. Go check out his site in addition to hearing him here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. All right, so I said a couple of things. The floor is yours. You wrote some about Joshua and Pulev, but articulate here your thoughts in the aftermath of his ninth-round knockout win, sir. Um, I think a few days on, um, with the dust settled on what was an entertaining fight, uh, a a curious fight at times, but an entertaining one overall, nevertheless, is I thought Joshua did well. I think uh, to argue anything else is, is perhaps... Uh, chasing something that you've got a, a preloaded agenda almost. Um, I think overall he did well. Pulev largely did what we expected him to do, which was uh, stand there, not really offer any great surprises. And Joshua dealt with him pretty handily. Um, if I had any critique, and that's what I covered in the article, was perhaps some doubts as to whether um, 
where the doubt still remains in Joshua about how he best uses the assets that he's got. He's undoubtedly a good puncher. He's undoubtedly got decent variety of shots. And he's a decent finisher when he, when he puts his mind to it. I think just occasionally, perhaps he traps himself in the, um, the doubt that's been put into him. I think firstly in that Klitschko fight, which we all loved and were enthralled by, but he had some very dangerous moments in that one he may well have lost. And I think the Ruiz fight has, has really um, solidified that doubt in his mind um, that he can walk in and get caught. So maybe that's a good thing for the longevity of his career. But you just want a guy with the tools that he's got, having Pulefert in the third in the way that he did, to get the job finished. If not in the third, then in the fourth or the fifth. And uh, I felt like he stepped back. And Pulef is, didn't prove to be an incredibly dangerous guy, fairly competent and organised, but against someone more dangerous, he may let well let someone back into a fight that he's already, to all intents and purposes, won. Um, but again, looking at it in the round, with a few days of it settling down, it's a good wing. He's got nine good rounds in the bank at a reasonable pace, and he's put the big Bulgarian on his backside, which helps to rebuild that idea that he's a knockout kind of fighter, which is what he's going to do need to do if we're going to sell the Joshua Fury fight as very much a 50-50. No doubt, and I agree with uh, virtually everything that you said. I mean, it's, it's one of those where he was a punch or two away, shoulda, coulda, woulda, as we like to say in the United States. He was a punch or two away from probably stopping Pulev in that third round, and then he's not able to follow up in the short term, and I don't know how much of that, he's the only one that knows, is as you say that he was being somewhat careful, somewhat mindful that I need some rounds here because I haven't fought in a year, and, uh, and also realizing the only way that I am going to lose is if he catches me with the big right hand. So I'll pick my spot. And when I get my spot or getting more fatigued, I'll take him out. That looked like the strategy. He deserves full credit for that strategy. He got the knockout that everybody expected. So I don't think anybody can, uh, can doubt off of that. Let me put another one to you here. How soon would you like to see him back in action? Uh, we've joked about this question all the time. Because he's basically only had one fight in a year and a half. If they can't make the Joshua fight, let's or the uh, Fury fight, excuse me, by let's say April, would you like to see him fight Usyk, for example, the WBO mandatory, the former World Cruiserweight champion, in April and be more active? Or are you okay with wait around to when the Fury fight can get made, even if it's maybe June, July, and we don't see Joshua Joshua for another six or seven months? Um. I think any answer that's not we want Joshua versus Fury next would be to undermine everything that we've talked about previously. Uh, yes, we want active fighters. Uh, ideally, fighting two, three, heaven help us, four times a year. But I think that's a thing of the past, as we all know. Um, so the thing that we must cling to most strongly and the thing that I've um, mentioned more than once on this podcast, particularly since the lockdown and, and everything that's gone on this year is we want the best to fight the best, don't we? So that's not to diminish Usyk, who I think would be a very credible challenger, but the fight is Fury versus Joshua. And if we have to wait until May, June to get the first one of what I hope is a pair of fights, subject to how the first fight goes, then that's what should happen. Uh, that, won't be, um, that won't be out of uh, kilter with the way the things work. A five, six month gap is pretty typical. And if it is, say, a May fight, then we could hopefully have a November fight at some great stadium when we're a lot further removed from this pandemic that causes all these restrictions on their ability to have a gate that makes them money. 
we have indoor stadiums here that can cater for 70, 80,000 people. So um, that would be the ideal. Uh, and I hope that the USIC, again, creditable though he is and a fantastic fighter, doesn't get in the way in the same way that I hope the WBO belt doesn't get in the way. Um, we want this unified picture. But let's be honest, uh, we didn't think of Evander Holyfield any less unified because he didn't have the WBO title back in the 90s. I don't, think the, I don't think the WBO's come on anymore. The fact it's four belts, not three, or three belts, not two. We know the best two guys are. I don't think there's much argument about who the two best guys are at this present time. They, them two need to fight. And there was some interesting commentary this week. You've probably seen it. The listeners have probably seen it. Eddie Hearn saying, if the WBO gets in the way, they need to be careful. Because in the end, everyone knows these are the two that need to fight. Let's dump all the belts. Let's save all the hundreds of thousands of pounds and let's just have these two. So there's a, there's a balance to be struck there somewhere. But the fight has to be Fury Joshua. And on that point, it's good that you made that point. Would anybody realistically look at that fight and say it's not an undisputed title fight because the WBO exactly. says it's not an undisputed title fight? That's your point. And that was exactly. Hearn's point, meeting with the media uh, midweek in Miami where he is there as part of the promotion, at least initially with Triple G, uh, Gennady Golovkin fighting Friday night, and then he'll make his way to Texas and do the Texas two-step in the Lone Star State for Canelo and, Cal and uh, Callum Smith. That's where we're going to head next with David Payne. You're hearing his voice, the boxing writer. All right, so uh, Canelo Alvarez uh, it does come out of mothballs before the end of the year. We like that. And Callum Smith is a guy that you're going to educate us a little bit more on here. WBA 168-pound uh, champ, won the World Boxing Super Series tournament to set him up as that WBA champ. All right, so I've kind of set the table and whetted the appetite. What, what else should we know about him? We know a ton about Canelo. What else should we know about Callum Smith for this uh, humongous fight, the fight of his career to this point coming Saturday night, David? Well, I think um, the question itself um, in, in some ways informs my answer in the sense of what should we know about him? We should know an awful lot more than we already do. And certainly you guys on the States I probably ought to know more about um, Callum than you already do. And that's not a reflection of not keeping up with British fight news, etc. It's more about the fact that that victory against George Groves, which crowned him the winner of that marvellous debut, um, the World Boxing Super Series tournament and Groves was a good opponent to beat, was favoured probably in that match, had got some um, recognition globally having you know fought Carl Frock and beat James DeGale and so on and so forth and fought in America successfully. Um, they've not capitalised for whatever reason, obviously the pandemic's been part of that, they've not capitalised on that, that's going back two years now and in that two years since, uh, Callum's not been busy enough. Um, I don't think that's down to him. I think he's been eager for fights. I think he would have accepted fights. We don't know what goes on in the background, how close fights came. But fights like Billy Joe Saunders would have been a great fight here, style-wise, profile-wise, would have been uh, a good matchup. Things like that should have happened to solidify his reputation as the number one. The ring made him the number one super middleweight on the back of that win over Groves. But he stayed below the radar. I made the comment in the article that I did on it that... Um, for someone who is largely regarded as the number one in his division, he's a bit of an invisible character, in, certainly in world terms. Um, so it may feel like some of the American audience that this is just another marking, not another, this is, this is a marking time fight almost for um, 
for Alvarez. And they may view Smith not much different to Rocky Fielding because they've not had much evidence of what he's done before. But that would be a massive mistake. There is a huge gulf between Fielding, no disrespect to Rocky, and Callum Smith. Callum comes into it with solid amateur credentials. He comes into it six foot three, enormous for the weight, real long reach, a stronger puncher than perhaps his knockout record suggests. Someone who, when challenged, has put out, put together his best performances. But you scan through his record, and there's not enough of that top class, world class. Uh, creditable wins in there to make this the mouth-watering contest in the public domain, uh, the public domain that it really it is. And this is a great fight, and I'm pleased that Canelo has done it. And I'm pleased for Smith that we get, although he's had that detour to um, light heavyweight, we get the two best guys at this weight duking it out to see who prevails. And I'm delighted for Smith, and I really hope that as this week progresses, I don't know when people will be listening to this. That there's some momentum gets behind this fight because obviously it's falling in the shadow behind Joshua and Pulev, which made a lot of noise. And we had Spence and Garcia before that. Um, and there really ought to be a bit more noise about this. This isn't just a marking time. This is the two best at the weight going at it. And as we've said with regards to Joshua and Fury, and we've talked about with Crawford and Spence, that's exactly what we want from our fighters. Let's find out who is the top guy. It doesn't have to be the end for Smith if he loses. But let's have a top two. And here we are. So um, hopefully they'll know a lot more about Smith come the end of Fight Night Saturday. Well, we're looking forward to it. And you should know from over here that we're building towards Saturday that Canelo is such a name in North America and obviously in Mexico and obviously uh, in, in Los Angeles, uh, in the desert southwest. It's one of the appeals as to why this fight is in San Antonio. They're going to have 16,000-plus or so somewhere in that neighborhood, socially distant, something like that uh, for this fight on Saturday. The momentum is building because outside media have begun to cover and talk about this and show this. And the height disparity is getting a lot of play about how much taller in the reach for Callum Smith against uh, Canelo. How, I, I guess that's the, the biggest um, – data point here that is the biggest crux that I think most people see with this fight can can Callum Smith utilize that reach advantage how quickly can Canelo solve that reach disparity and get inside and score a lot of people believe that that's what this fight comes down to that is the question the most important question would you go along with that or maybe you think another factor is as big a factor I think that's um the very obvious point, and I don't, I don't think the promotion that I've seen has shined away from that. So where there is a lack of education as to Callum's uh, potential uh, and capabilities, um, I think they're highlighting the disparity. So they're playing up that to as a lowest common denominator, if you like, that you might not know who this guy is, but look at the size of him. So I think a lot of the photography has been very deliberate to exaggerate it even more than the natural difference there is between them. As I say, I'm not sure what um, Alvarez is, is checked in at on a height, 5'8", five 5'9", foot five foot perhaps. Um, so he's going to be giving away 5, 6 inches in um, height and an awful long way in reach. Um, I'm sure Callum could probably compete very effectively at light heavyweight. He's, he's a giant of a guy. Um, so the fight does boil down to a large extent. It's a simplification, but it does boil down to how does... Smith deploy those assets. Can he win a 12-round fight 
on the cards with everything that comes in the Canelo business, as you just mentioned, every all the money that's attached and the renown. Wants, doesn't want to be cynical, but one would imagine that any doubt there is is going to go towards Alvarez in tight rounds. Um, we've seen that against Golovkin, who has much greater profile and potential for earning money for promoters in America than Smith does. Um, widely accepted that he got the wrong end of a bad decision, certainly in the first fight. So he can expect no favours on the cards. But so therefore, in some ways, he's, he's got to be proactive. He can't try and steal rounds behind the jab. He's got to be proactive and, and try to put some work into Alvarez. Um, because if he doesn't discourage him, then as you say, Alvarez is very adept at getting around obstacles. He's seen every style. He's got tremendous feet. His punch selection is fabulous. He can punch in terrific combinations, both as a counter puncher and as the aggressor. He's done both. Um, and he can hold a great shot. So... That there is a lot for Smith to keep a distance. I'm not convinced he can do it, uh, but I think he has a chance. In his last fight, which was very indi- uh, instructive as to how this might go, Smith fought John Ryder, a, a British fighter uh, who's been on the circuit, very capable person of a similar proportion to Alvarez. And he had a lot of success leading with the jab despite the reach disparity, despite being a short person, and outworked Smith in a lot of rounds. And there is a school of thought that this fight happens because Alvarez has seen that there is a, that there is a method to beating um, Smith and that he's vulnerable in some regards to a high work rate and someone moving around him. So if I, I can think, interject, I, I got you. If I can interject, I thought tactically in watching that fight, Smith did himself no favors and laid back way too much on the ropes and let the smaller fighter have a chance to get inside uh, almost willingly on his own, that that was a tactical mistake. How much do you think they have beaten it into his head? That's the American phrase. You can't do this Saturday night in the Alamo Dome. This guy will destroy you. If you lay back yeah. like that and you let him inside, you, you got to make him earn his way inside. Alvarez, we're talking about inside of your jab, on his own, inside of your right hand, follow after the jab, make him earn it. You lay back on the ropes, it is a matter of time, he will get you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's he's going to have to be adaptable. He can't, and and Alvarez is clever enough that he can change tactics too. So um, Smith can't go in with one strategy that's going to that's going to solve everything because Alvarez will adapt, won't he, very quickly. But he's certainly, you're absolutely right. He can't afford to be passive. He can't afford to think that landing three jabs in a round, wrestling and 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 skewing his perception of how the fight's going is going to work in this situation. It, it isn't. He's going to have to be proactive. He's going to have to try and discourage Alvarez. He's going to have to give him problems coming forward. He's going to have to make him think. Uh, and he can't expose his body laying on the ropes to a body puncher as good as Alvarez who can pick his spot so well. Uh, and thuds, you know, he's coming up through the divisions, but we've seen that he's got good punch power, what he did to Kovalev. We can make commentary about Kovalev perhaps being well past his best, but that's to some extent with the benefit of hindsight. Smith certainly isn't past his best, appears to hold the shot well, um, but he doesn't want to be letting Alvarez in and landing two, three combinations with that left hook to the, to the, to the body because that, that doesn't suggest there's going to be a good outcome for, for Callum. Um, so tactically, it's going to be great. And what's fabulous about this, as I mentioned, it's the one and two, for argument's sake, in this division, despite Alvarez's activity in other divisions. Um, but it's two guys in their prime, both 30 years old, 
We're not carrying injuries into this. We're not carrying um, any other issue about weight making. We're not carrying, there are no caveats to this. It's just two guys in the prime, styles different, physicality different. It's going to be an enthralling contest, however it unfolds. I think it will be competitive, um, uh, but it's, it's hard to see past Alvarez finding a way to either score the points or get there in the end, get to him in the end. All right, we will see how it all plays out. There are the thoughts and the insight on the podcast of the boxing writer, David Payne. Uh, again, boxingwriter.co.uk is his website where he is writing in advance of Saturday night's super middleweight unification world title fight with Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith. Also writing in the recap mode. We love having you on the podcast as well. I don't believe we're going to be able to grab you before the Christmas holiday when this fight is over with, no matter what happens. We'll see. I mean, if I will make this pledge to you in advance. If Callum Smith pulls the upset, particularly with a dramatic knockout, we're probably coming back with a recap podcast on Big Fight Weekend. And, and therefore, the red carpet is out for you. In the event that Alvarez does what many of us believe, and I hear it in your voice too, that he should do and will do, we're probably not doing the recap podcast if that's the case. We'll see. We'll be more in the preview mode and the end of the year mode. So one more for you. Uh, it has been a bizarre year, a crazy year, almost like three years in, in one in life and in sports. But we shouldn't lose sight of, we saw a tremendous performance by Tyson Fury to recapture part of the heavyweight title earlier this year in beating Deontay Wilder. We did see the sport shut down, but now that it has come back, we've seen entertaining fights and fighters worldwide over the last two or three months to interest us. You mentioned Joshua, the heavyweight title fight. You mentioned Errol Spence before that coming off the car crash and, and, and clearly one of the biggest names in the non-heavyweight realm over at least here in the United States and North America is Errol Spence. He won. Now you've got Canelo in action. We've had some fights this year. It's been a different, interesting, bizarre year, but we have some good things to look back on. And I give you the floor one more time with a final thought on 2020 and the crazy boxing year we've had. Well, it's been crazy. It has the, I don't know what word best sums it up. You need more than one really, don't you? Um, I think what's been telling is just, for me is how important sport is in, in, in life. It seems like just an adjunct to everything else that goes on, but it's been central to everyone's sanity. Those of us who follow sport, chatting to you guys on the big fight weekend when we were stuck in the middle of lockdown, it was healthy and positive for all of us. And having sport back has been very cathartic for all of us. It's not how we used to enjoy it. We're not ringside. We're not sat in the stands in the same way, although that's beginning to, evolve and you know and change um but it's been essential to to all of us and it is true to look back and think we have seen some terrific fights this year some terrific events uh, we did see fury absolutely demolish the person nobody would fight or supposedly no one would fight and change the whole landscape not just of boxing but uh, sorry not just of the heavyweight division but of boxing in general and he's such a personality and he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he um, he he brings a freshness and a different energy to the place. Um, and I think boxing has, has had to throw has thrown all the pieces. The pandemic has thrown all the pieces up in the air, and the dust is settling. And we might see new ways of platforms working together. We might see promoters having to work together. We might see change. Let's hope we see more of the fights that we want. I think what 
the model I'm seeing is that we're seeing one big main event type fight and not a lot of undercard. It all it's all about the the one because they have to pay the fighters so much money these days that the there doesn't seem to be a substance below it. So we, we get tagged in a little bit about the headline fight. We never seem to talk about the co-main feature or the chief undercard anymore, do we? So that's a change. But hopefully, if we accept that fighters only box twice a year, let's hope that those key fighters, the ones that lead the sport, are at the vanguard. Let's hope they're fighting each other and not in endless mandatories and pointless defences. That's what I'm hoping 2021 is going to bring and is going to be the positive and that we will all appreciate what we have rather than complain about what we don't. I suppose that's one of the lessons of 2020. Great way to end it. I'm appreciative of you, the boxing writer on social media. Follow him on Twitter all through the weekend if you're hearing us in the preview mode. You'll obviously have some thoughts and some insight as everything unfolds uh, here this weekend. If I do not get to speak to you formally on the Big Fight Weekend podcast uh, before the end of the year is out, Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to the Payne household and everybody over in the UK for hanging in there in this crazy 2020 year as we have all done so. But I pledge to you again, if we get a shocker, if we get an upset, we're probably coming back to you. So have the, have the bat phone ready. It may be ringing long about Saturday night, late night, Sunday, et cetera, on what may or may not happen. That's why we love boxing, right, David? One final time. We don't know. And one punch can change everything and one punch can end it. We don't know. We, we shall see. Uh, I look forward to it. Thank you, my friend. Great to see you again. Great to catch up with you again. Merry Christmas to you and your family and all the listeners over there in America. Enjoy the fights. And hopefully, as a Brit, we'll be having that um, extra podcast on Sunday. And there we go. We uh, again say happy holidays. Merry Christmas to David Payne over in Europe. Let's see what Callum Smith can do in this one coming Saturday night. Still to come, Keith Eidek, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com will be here. He is there in San Antonio for Canelo and Calvin and Callum Smith. Marquise Johns, senior writer for BigFightWeekend.com will be with me. We'll talk to Keith Eidek. All of that still to come here as part of the podcast. It is time to talk to you about MyBookie.ag. MyBookie wants you to know it's the most wonderful time of the year, even though the year can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win at the end of 2020, don't we? We deserve a little extra money in our pockets. Well, the only place that you're guaranteed to get it all is through MyBookie.ag. They're not only just the sports book, but they take care of you whether you're naughty or nice, and they've got gifts for everyone by betting the NFL or when the NBA starts up or your, all your college uh, football and basketball and much more. Sign up today and get the ultimate stocking stuffer, 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start just by using our promo code SGP. You put 100 bucks in, you get 50 from my bookie. You put 500 in, you get 250 all the way up to $1,000 on the 50% match. So for all of these different games in pro football, college winding down, you've got the college football playoff uh, coming up as well, the NBA starting again, head over to MyBookie, make the most of the holidays this year, and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. Remember that promo code SGP. Get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. This winter, bet with the best. Bet with MyBookie.ag and the promo code SGP. And we're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy, the daily fantasy sports app for player props. And just in time for the holidays, as part of the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows, we're teaming up with Thrive Fantasy for an awesome SGP merchandise bundle. 
Send in a screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy's promo code SGP and signing up for Thrive Fantasy, and you've got a chance to win $100 in Sports Gambling Podcast merchandise. So email your screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy using our promo code SGP. Send it to podcast at sportsgamblingpodcast.com with the screenshot, and you've got a chance to win 100 bucks for the holidays in SGP merchandise. All right, so with Thrive, you eliminate the countless hours of all the research every which direction on Daily Fantasy. And instead, in the NFL, choose 10 of the 20 available player props, build your lineup, and get into the contest to play. All right, let's take a look at some of the Sunday games from the upcoming Week 15 in the NFL to give you time to analyze all the different player props uh, from these games that will be going on. What will happen with my Buccaneers taking on the Falcons in Atlanta? I like the prop of Chris Godwin to have at least six receptions in the game. I know he had under that against Minnesota, who's a little better on defense than what Atlanta is right now. Godwin has been the compliment to Mike Ed, uh, to Mike Evans for the Buccaneers. Uh, of course, you've got other weapons like Antonio Brown. Of course, Scotty Miller caught the long touchdown from Tom Brady last week. I still like Godwin. He had a big game in Atlanta a year ago with over 150 yards receiving. Give me Godwin over the five and a half reception total uh, that's there on the player props for Thrive Fantasy. Uh, while we're at it, early games, Miami hosting New England. Tua Tonga-Vailoa with a one and a half player prop for passing touchdowns. New England's pass defense has still held in well. Uh, I know Jared Goff threw it pretty well against him for a lot of the game last week, but by and large, New England's pass defense has been good. I don't think Tua will have two touchdown passes in the game with the Patriots. Miami may still win the game. Revenge for them. They lost in week one to New England, but I think he is going to be uh, under on the one-and-a-half touchdown pass total, probably one or less for Tua in that game. I will skip to uh, the Seahawks and the Washington football team. Brian Edwards is going to talk more about Washington hosting Seattle in our final segment of the show. But I I like Russell Wilson uh, here in this instance for combined 283.5 passing and rushing yards, yards from scrimmage for him, uh, passing and rushing. Give me Russell Wilson, even though the Redskin defense has improved, to go over that number in the early a Sunday game with the Washington football team. So I'm taking a lot of these games that are early games. Uh, I also like in the Rams-Jets game, that is a late game Sunday afternoon from L.A. Cam Akers coming on strong, the rookie running back for L.A. out of Florida State against the woeful Jets. He only needs to rush or receive a touchdown in the game. I think he will get one. Take that over prop uh, there for uh, Cam Akers uh, in that matchup with the Jets. And one more How about for uh, the Kansas City-New Orleans game? Alvin Kamara, 65.5 rush yards in that showdown, that late game in the Superdome. Saints hosting the defending champion Chiefs. I'm going to take the under. I think the Chiefs will slow him down rushing. He may catch for some more yardage, but I like the under for Alvin Kamara in this instance in the matchup New Orleans against uh, Kansas City and the Chiefs coming in looking to ride high and remain in the top spot for the AFC playoffs and the number one seed. So there are some examples of what you can do with Thrive Fantasy. 
Thrive has given out over $100,000 the last couple of weeks in guaranteed prizes, and they're continuing to give it out uh, right now if you get these successful props and enter their contest. They've paid out over $250,000 in cash prizes so far this season. Uh, with Thrive Fantasy. So again, sign up with Thrive Fantasy. Use our promo code SGP. And if you're a first-time depositor, you get a match up to 50 bucks when you put in. Get an instant match up to $50 on your initial deposit. So again, go get Thrive Fantasy in the Apple Store, in the Google Play Store. Download it. Find out more of the rules and regulations at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Use our promo code SGP. We are also brought to you in part by BetterThan.Vegas. It's an all-new, completely free website sharing thousands of handicapping videos. It's like YouTube, but it's for what the DGENs only care about. Of course, the DGENs only all part of the Sports Gambling Podcast, the network fleet of shows. The best part is you get to watch all the video picks from the Sports Gambling Podcast network crew and what they're posting exclusively over on BetterThan.Vegas. They cover all sports, the NFL, college football, college basketball nba will be here soon as well if the free video picks aren't enough they're giving away cash one thousand dollars to the handicapper that wins the most units and a thousand dollars to the handicapper that has the most followers make sure you subscribe on the sports gambling podcast network page sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash btv better than vegas btv sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash btv so you don't miss out on any of these videos head over to better than dot vegas that's better than dot vegas to see more and if you've ever thought of owning your own sports book but you didn't know how ace per head is here to help you start it up they'll provide you with an all-inclusive professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately they've got top-notch customer service going 24 7 some of the sharpest lines in the industry and plus ace per head also has live betting and a great mobile experience you can get started today Ace is offering six weeks free, by the way. Go to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP to find out more. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. Indeed, as promised, he is on location. Senior writer, columnist, great insight into the sweet science is Keith Eidek of BoxingScene.com back with us on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. I cannot see him. I have not seen a social media photo. So Marquise Johns, I do not know as we bring you in here, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com. Marquise, I don't know if Keith's got his 10-gallon hat on, his spurs, his cowboy boots, his six-shooter. He's he's deep in the heart of Texas uh, once again. Good to have you uh, here, Cowboy Keith. Good to have you on the program. TJ, Marquise, how you guys doing? No, I have no what? Uh, no 10 deck, ten gallon hat. That's the damn <laughs> Guy I'm, from I'm, the. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my mask everywhere I am. Good I'm for you. Good. Everywhere I go here. So, you know. Good for you. Uh, and it's allowed. You can be a bandito uh, these days, even in Texas, and, and get away with that. <laughs> Let's begin right there with the anticipation of the last couple of weeks. Now we're to the fight week. Now we're to the final couple of days at the, at the time we're taping as the fight is approaching on Saturday night for Canelo and Callum Smith for the Unified Super Middleweight Championship. Set the scene a little bit for us. You were at Gervonta Davis, uh, Leo Santa Cruz 
uh, back, uh, what, Halloween was that fight night. What is this like right now, as limited as it may be, to see who's around and, and whatever? What's the anticipation like? What what uh, What's going on? It's pretty comparable, I guess. We're in a, uh, the Grand Hyatt Hotel for this fight. Uh, Matchroom rented out the entire hotel, so anyone staying in the hotel is in some way affiliated with the fight, so there's a little more flexibility in terms of people testing negative and being able to move about the hotel. Uh, for the Gervonta Davis-Leo Santa Cruz fight, we were at the Marriott right across the street, and they did not have the entire property rented out, so we were restricted to certain floors and everything. So, I mean, I, I wish I could give you a better feel of what's going on in the city of San Antonio, but we are not allowed to leave the hotel, so I can only look out the window and wish I was outside, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> as sad as that might sound, that's basically where it's at. But um I guess, like, you know, they tried to, uh, Canelo was used to, as you guys well know, these big fight weeks in Las Vegas where they have grand arrivals and everything. They did do what they called a grand arrival. I believe it was on Tuesday afternoon. I was not out of quarantine at that point, so I couldn't, I had tested, but I didn't get my result, my negative result back yet, so I couldn't go down to it. But they did do some sort of grand arrival, which frankly seemed a little silly considering there's no one in the hotel that's not affiliated with the fight but they they're trying to make it as normal as possible and uh so they did do some media stuff and they had a i believe they had a red carpet down there in the hotel entrance um again seems a little manufactured and unnecessary but they did do that the other day uh the arena itself guys will have will be packed to the maximum amount of people that they're allowed for this fight in the state of Texas, which is 12,000 fans. And, they, and there will be 12, a little more than 12,000 in the, in the arena for the fight on Saturday. The announced crowd for the Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz card was slightly over 9,000. And if I'm remembering correctly, they were allowed somewhere, somewhere close to 12,000, but I don't think quite as many as for this fight. Uh, interesting lining that up, uh, and I guess it, it begs the natural follow-up that Callum Smith comes in, and again, this fight was put together in, in just about two months' notice, if not seven weeks' notice, something like that, for this date, Saturday night, December 19th. And with the whole travel restrictions, etc., I don't know that a lot of fight fans from the U.K. could necessarily get in, but if there are British fight fans that are in the United States that were here already, you would think theoretically they could get to Texas and maybe get their hand on a ticket. Do we have any kind of educated guess? Will he have any fans, Callum, maybe in the uh, in the Alamo Dome here, or is it going to be like 99, if not 100% for Canelo Alvarez like we, like we would guess it might be? Yeah, I would suspect that there probably aren't that many people coming over from the U.K., you know, if they fought in Las Vegas, uh, you know, th- this particular weekend in a non-pandemic, you know, people would come over from the UK because the Brits love their boxing and the Canelo fights are always big events. I wouldn't anticipate a lot of people coming from the UK if, if you know, maybe a couple hundred at the absolute most. But uh, but he has a very big family, Callum Smith, as you guys well know. His, his brothers are mm-hmm. all fighters. And uh, the whole Smith contingent is here running about the hotel this week. And uh so he'll have a lot of supporters in terms of the people that he's close to and everything. But I, I think for the most part on Saturday night, it's going to be a very pro Canelo crowd. Uh, you know, we're deep in the heart of Texas here. We're, we're not in Mexico, but we're about as close as you can get really in a major American city here to, to the Mexican border. So, um, you know, I think there'll be a lot of uh, rabid 
Canelo fans in the building who've been starved to you know to watch fights uh, for quite some time. So I think it'll be a uh, like I said a big pro Canelo crowd. And again, I've got Marquise Johns here, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com. Fire away, my friend, for one Keith Idick here on the podcast. Go ahead. Absolutely, Keith, and uh, TJ as well. Uh, Keith, I, I want to ask you about just to fill up this leading up to this fight, because about about a, two months ago, like the odds of us seeing a Canelo fight happening in 2020 were about as good as this pandemic, to be honest with you guys. And I uh, just want to get your feel of this. How has the feel been compared to, this, to other uh, Canelo fights? Because I know you covered Kovalev, uh, Canelo from last year. In fights before that, does does this have that same Canelo feel for a fight, or is it just part of the pandemic issues and just another fight to keep moving? Yeah, I just think it's part of uh, the the strange time that we're living in, Marquise, in the sense that you know nothing is normal now. I mean, it's not normal to be locked down in a hotel for six or seven days at a time and not li- literally not be able to leave. So we're just all you know, in whatever capacity you're working the fight, you know, you're just trying to deal with it as best you can, and that includes the fighters because it's not normal for them. You know, they're trying to make weight in a bubble environment. And some guys, as you guys have seen in other uh, promotions and on other networks, have had trouble making weight. I don't expect either of these two guys to have such issues, but it's just not, you're, it's not normal. And there's a, you know, on Saturday night, it'll, it'll feel a little closer to normal because there will be 12,000 fans in the building. But the Alamo Dome holds, you know, 65,000 people. So even though there will be 12,000 people there, it won't even be 25% full. So that'll, you know, take away from the atmosphere a little bit also. So so I guess the short answer, Marquise, is it doesn't really feel like a big fight week. I mean, we've gone about our business here is the, pretty much close to normal, you know, doing interviews with the fighters after the press conference and the access has been similar and everything. But uh, but beyond that, it doesn't. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't, I guess, is the short answer. Again, voice of Keith Eideck. He's with us from BoxingScene.com. He's on the scene. Alamo Dome, San Antonio, Canelo Alvarez's return against Callum Smith, unbeaten WBA super middleweight champ. Canelo has some version of a WBC title that they've sort of bestowed upon him uh, in the 168-pound division among his world championship uh, wins. Um, all right, so th- this is where we have fun and, and love uh, the inside of guys like you. We don't know what we're going to get. We have educated speculation of, of what we're going to get because we haven't seen Canelo Alvarez now in over a year. What is your best guess about how we will look? And in fairness, Callum Smith hasn't fought in 2020 either. But we're more concerned, obviously, I think, on the on the worldwide stage with what will Canelo look like. What's your educated guess? What, how do you think he will look? Do you believe he will be rusty? Do you believe he will be patient and maybe feel this one out for a while for those reasons? What do you think? Well, he better be patient because he's in there with a guy who's six foot three and he's only five foot eight. Uh, so obviously, Callum Smith has a, a, a height and reach advantage against him. But the difference being, you know, he's obviously fought a tall fighter in his super middleweight debut against Rocky Fielding. And blew through him. But I think that, you know, Callum Smith obviously stopped Rocky Fielding in the first round of their fight three years before Canelo fought him. But beyond that, Callum Smith is a much more skillful fighter. He's a stronger fighter. And first and foremost, he's not coming there Saturday night for a paycheck and to lay down. He's coming to win this fight. And, you know, he's going to have to be careful himself tactically because if he lets Canelo Alvarez get on the inside against him, he's going to have a problem. And he realizes that, so I think he'll try to remain more committed to boxing and, and keeping Canelo Alvarez at a distance that favors him in the fight. Um, but I think we're in for, for a very good fight because 
as you said, TJ, they're both coming off almost the same layoff. I mean, uh, Callum Smith fought, I think, three weeks after Canelo knocked out Sergey Kovalev last year. So they've been off for about the same amount of time. You know, they took the fight really on about five weeks' notice. I mean, both of them had been in the gym training, but not training to fight each other necessarily. Um, so they're, this a, a fight of this magnitude, frankly, never comes together as quickly as this fight did. Because it really, once his lawsuit was settled with the Zone and Golden Boy Promotions, Canelo Alvarez went right to work on securing an opponent, and this fight was made very quickly, um, really about five weeks out. So, um, but I think both guys will be in tip-top shape because they had been training before they finalized this deal, and I think we're in for a heck of a fight on Saturday night refreshing is the word that I will use and have used before that it could come together this quickly. And we knew that uh, Canelo had been in talks with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom uh, through De La Hoya DeZone uh, about maybe Billy Joe Saunders. We heard Callum Smith's name being bandied about. And then the whole General Hospital-esque soap opera uh, unfolded for a couple of months that delayed this even further, but at least we get it uh, here with uh, Canelo Callum Smith coming Saturday night. We're previewing it on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Marquise Johns, you got another one for Keith here? Go ahead. Absolutely, TJ. Uh, Keith, uh, as the year's wrapping up, I uh, just want to get your question, your thoughts on this. Uh, what are your take is on fight of the year, and why is it not uh, Cepeda versus uh, Chacon? <laughs> <laughs> It, wait, Zapeda against who? Zapeda and Baranchik. Baranchik. So Zapeda and Baranchik. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, that one might yeah, be fight of the be, year. Yeah. Hey, can I interject? It's almost like this has been three years in one. But the fury, the fury win over file of over Wilder did happen in 2020. As much as we think it happened in 2018 or 2017, it did happen this calendar year. Should that not get strong consideration, even though it's pre-pandemic? But uh, Marquise thinks that that Zapata-Baranchik fight with all the knockdowns uh, in the Vegas bubble, that might be the fight of the year. Do you have one that's different than those, maybe, Keith? Uh, I don't, because because in my opinion, guys, if the Zapata-Baranchik fight does not win fight of the year, people should stop voting. Because <laughs> that fight had every element of the fight of the year that you possibly could have. I mean, each guy was knocked down four times in the fight. That, you just don't see that in boxing, certainly at the highest level. You do not see that. Not only was each guy knocked down four times, there were two rounds, two separate rounds in the fight when each guy was knocked down. If that's not the fight of the year, I, I don't know what could be. Um, I, I, think, I think from a magnitude perspective, TJ, you make a good point about Fury beating uh, Wilder because it was such a huge win. It's a heavyweight title fight. It was a heavily hyped fight and all that. But in terms of what actually unfolded in the ring, it's it's Zapata Baranchik and anything else, a distant, distant, distant second, third, fourth, fifth. I love it. Uh, kind of like uh, if there's a problem with the voting, we need to check the mail-in ballots and the Dominion voting machines and anything else for tabulations and lawsuits will be flying. It's rigged if it doesn't win. It's rigged, I tell you. If it goes, oh, if it goes, if it goes anywhere uh, other than that direction. Um, all right, uh, so a couple of more on this uh, for Saturday. Uh, and Marquise touched on this with me too, so I'm kind of piggybacking on something that he wanted to get from you. You were in the different bubbles, whether it be the Vegas bubble uh, for top-ranked boxing at the MGM uh, on the Vegas Strip, or the Showtime bubble in Connecticut. 
uh, and stepping out of that. Now you're in a, in a situation again at the Alamo Dome where there are fans. It's got to be a bit surreal to have done both. Just describe it. What what has it been like to be there in the sterile environment? And now you're back when a lot of these fights aren't happening with anybody there, but at least there's some there for this one. Yeah, it's it's certainly unusual, guys, covering it in the uh, studio setting when there aren't any fans or anything because you're. You know, in the case of the Showtime pay-per-view fight up at Mohegan Sun, those were very, very high-level fights. You know, Jamel Charlo and Jason Rosario, Jamal Charlo and Sergey Gravienchenko. It was a six-fight you know, six-fight pay-per-view, a stacked pay-per-view. It was strange to watch it in that environment because that was the first one that I had done uh, since the pandemic began. Um, it, it was. It obviously took away from the atmosphere and everything, particularly because those were, you know, the Derevianchenko, uh, Jermal Trello fight was a great action fight. Jermal Trello and Jason Rosario was, you know, he, he winds up knocking him out emphatically. But we, and then you go to Vegas to see, you know, the biggest, in, in some respects, the biggest fight of the year, Lomachenko Lopez, and there are, you know, maybe 200 people in there, including all the people who were working and they did allow a small amount of fans like first responders and family members and things in for that fight, but such a high, high level fight and a high stakes fight with Lopez changing his entire career by beating Lomachenko. And there's no one there. I mean, think about what Madison Mm. square garden would have been like that Mm. night if they fought there or May 30th or whenever the fight would have taken place what a raucous atmosphere there would have been. So it, it, it certainly takes away from it guys uh, when there aren't fans there. I'll say this, I, I, even though there were nine, 9,000-ish people in a 65,000-seat stadium, when Gervonta Davis knocked Leo Santa Cruz unconscious and just like took everything out of him with that vicious uppercut, um, people went crazy. And even though it was only 9,000 people, it sounded like a lot more. So the atmosphere after that, you know, what I would think is probably the knockout of the year. People, you know, the, the atmosphere was pretty incredible that night. And I expect it to be a pretty lively atmosphere on Saturday night because, of you know, Canelo's the biggest star in American boxing. And, um, and I think his fans will be loud and proud and waving Mexican flags and everything on Saturday night. So, um, so it'll be a little different. But the, the bubble environments, guys, I got to be honest. I mean, this is the sixth one that I've done since the end of September. So I guess whatever that, you know, almost three months, I've done six weeks, uh, a week a piece, basically in all these different ones. It, it gets old. Sure. <laughs> it's it's gotta be, and it's almost, it's almost gotta be like groundhog day that even though maybe the city is a different city, but it's the same thing. Again, these are first world problems because we're talking about yeah. working, getting paid or whatever, but I can totally appreciate traveling a bunch, which I have done some for this year, but I travel a bunch every fall for football. If you're only allowed in the hotel, the hotels all look the same. And by day two, my God, and by day three, to Keith's point from earlier, there's only so much you can do inside the hotel, but everybody's trying to be safe, social distance, we get all of that. But I get it doing it for a third week or a fourth different week in the same fall. It can be that way. So it's refreshing uh, to see what's going to be in the Alamo Dome and the atmosphere and the whole bit. Uh, because, again, I have a lot of experience being around dome atmospheres with with loud NFL stadiums, loud college stadiums, etc. 15,000, 20,000 people, 30,000 people can sound like 
hundred inside of a dome, depending on how loud they roar at once. And it's fascinating that you said that even eight or nine thousand can sound loud. And it, it came across on the uh, on the Showtime broadcast of that pay per view when Davis landed that bomb punch. It came across like there might have been thirty thousand people in there, even though it was a smaller number. So we're looking for that. I don't expect that you give me. You can if you want a prediction. Uh, do you think, though, this goes some rounds? Do you think we might be looking at a late-round fight, if not the distance, uh, here from these two guys, Canelo and Callum Smith, Saturday, Keith? Uh, yeah, I think it goes the distance, guys. I think Callum Smith's got an excellent chin, um, and, he, and he's a, you know, he's a, obviously a much, much better fighter than Rocky Fielding. So uh, I think he'll win rounds against Canelo Alvarez, but ultimately I think Canelo will win the fight. And as you guys, you know, you guys have been watching boxing forever and have seen it many times when Canelo's fought. Anytime it goes to the scorecards and, you know, <laughs> it, 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 he's getting the decision. I mean, it, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just that's just a fact. It's the way it, it's the way it's gone against Arizlandi Lara. It's the way it's gone. At least I thought he won the second fight against Gennady Golovkin, but I think he certainly lost the first fight and, and, it got, and he got a draw. I mean, even guys, when he fought Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather arguably won 10 rounds of that fight, and there was a judge that scored it a draw. So there's something about the way that Canelo fights or something else. I mean, look, you, you basically you have to knock him out to get a draw for the most part. I love so, that. Now, that's a great line. <laughs> that's a great line. You, if, and Callum Smith, I don't think Callum Smith will be reckless about it, though. I think he believes he's big enough and strong enough to hurt Canelo Alvarez, who has shown nothing short of a granite chin throughout his career. But I think he feels like he can hurt him and maybe get him out of there. But he, he won't be irresponsible about it because he also knows that Canelo, as he has gone up in weight, has, has maintained his power and is also dangerous. So I don't think he'll go about it in a reckless way. But uh, I, think, I think we're in for a very entertaining, competitive fight that I would expect Canelo Alvarez to win on the scorecards. Hey, one more. You did tweet about this Thursday night at the time that we're taping here with Keith Eidick of BoxingScene.com. On scene, on location, OL, as I like to say, on location, San Antonio, Texas. Can't even enjoy the Riverwalk and the quesadillas uh, that they have on the Riverwalk or the nachos. I'm making him feel bad again. The good news is you can break quarantine after the fight, so you can maybe enjoy that uh, post-fight or Sunday or whatever. But anyway, you're on scene, and you did tweet that the Texas uh, referee approved for this unified super middleweight title fight is John Shorley. I hope I have that name uh, pronounced correctly. Mm-hmm. or scorely however you say it surely or scorely what do we know about him does he have some championship experience because there are obviously going to be questions in the uk and otherwise about the judges and about the referee do we know much about him yeah john surely is a veteran referee done mostly fights and he, he's a texas-based referee and does mostly fights in texas but it, but there's nothing on his record glaring in the sense like you know, if Lawrence Cole would have been assigned to the fight, you know, <laughs> people, would have been, people would have been up in arms, obviously. But, uh, but you know, John Chorley is a good referee and, again, has no, uh, you know, black marks on his record or anything in terms of doing anything egregious in a fight. Um, you know, of course, you know, Callum Smith's side is guarding against that. Steve Weisfeld, who I know very, you know, I'm from northern New Jersey, as is Steve, and I've been following his career since I've been covering boxing. And, in my opinion, is probably the best judge in the sport. Um, which is why he keeps getting these high-profile assignments. Um, Steve Morrow from California, very solid judge. 
Uh, Rafael Ramos is the uh, the other judge who's from Texas, who also is a referee, uh, and is a pretty good referee too. So I think I'm more familiar with his work as a ref than as a judge. But again, nothing nothing stands out when I looked at his record. Nothing really jumped out at me where you would say, "Oh boy," you know, because sometimes even when they're approving the judging panel, sometimes something will slip through the cracks and be like, oh, "Well, boxing they, you know, because they judges." Yeah, they just, but they, you know, they'll usually give you the the pool of judges, and you can, you know, you can't rule out all of them. But right. but if there are judges that you have an issue with, they'll rule them out just so you don't have any controversy going into the fight, let alone after the fight. Sure, and the two words "boxing judges" have been uttered so yeah. many times this year and so many mm-hmm. years. Uh, that's for sure. And and one more on the inside. Again, Shirley's name was probably there with a couple of others. And uh, and again, it, it's kind of they go to both camps. Canelo's camp probably has more of the say so and say, are you comfortable with this guy? And obviously both sides were comfortable enough or at least Canelo was comfortable enough to say, yeah, yeah. this is the guy we want. Whoever the WBC, the WBA are recommending Texas has on hand, et cetera. Right. That's how it works. Right. Yeah, I think in this case, the Texas Commission were the, were the ones approving. Look, there there's not a judge from the U.K., yet there's not a judge from Mexico. Uh, so I think they have to feel comfortable with what the judging panel is. Now, maybe if we're under ordinary circumstances here, maybe there would have been a judge from England and, and, a, and a judge from Mexico or, you know, but but here, it, look, the, the judging panel is, is fine. I don't think it, it, it sways one way or the other, except for what I mentioned earlier in that it, Canelo Alvarez always seems to get the benefit of the doubt on the scorecard. So that, 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 look, I understand that you know Canelo fans, it drives them crazy, but the facts are the facts. Love it. Uh, Marquise, anything else before we let Keith run along here? He's been great and given us uh, some great insight from San Antonio. Anything else in wrapping it up, Marquise Johns? Absolutely, TJ. Uh, Keith, one last thing, because I remember you wrote, you wrote about this up for boxing scene earlier this week about uh, this fight finally being for the zone on pay-per-view around the country for uh, you know, a separate entity where $69.99, where you get, to, you get the pay-per-view, you get four months of the zone, three, they'll throw that on you, whatever have you. My question to you, Keith, is what took these guys so long to figure this crap out? <laughs> about pay-per-view, the zone. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. It, it's interesting that the company that has trumpeted the death of pay-per-view for two and a half years is now putting a fight on pay-per-view, but they... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had had uh, dis- discussions in, uh, with people from DAZN early this year, even before the pandemic, and it was something that they were thinking about doing because no matter how much advertising they've done or how much marketing they've done, there are just certain people, even some boxing fans, and I don't know how many hardcore boxing fans, but certainly casual boxing fans that have not caught on to the app. You know, Maybe it's their – sure. They don't they don't want to learn how to use it, or it's too much trouble for them to go to go through. And you know, older people are you know they don't want to be bothered with it. Maybe that's part of it. Look, I guess there are enough people that would plunk down seventy bucks as opposed to paying a hundred for a yearly subscription to the zone. I guess there are enough people who would do that where they think it's worthwhile to also make the fight available on uh, pay per view. So, I, I, look. Most people are cost conscious, and you guys know how many people steal pay-per-views, get signals from anywhere and everywhere. Piracy is a huge problem in pay-per-view. Yeah, um, but they but they think that there are enough people where it'll generate another real revenue stream by making the fight available on pay-per-view. Now, of course, it flies in the face of their marketing message that they that they've used since they launched in 2018, but. I don't think they care at this point. Just like just like they didn't care that they were going to pay, like they told Canelo Alvarez, we're going to pay you X per fight, and then they said, well, now we're not. 
I don't think they care. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. And look, I, I was not a math major uh, in school. I don't know about Marquise or about Keith, but this is pretty simple math. At $70 per pay-per-view, if you can get even 100,000 pay-per-view buys... That's $7 million that maybe wasn't going to spend the money on the app with DAZN. And so all of that helps towards the bottom line where you can't have fans and you're not paying, you know, you're not paying Canelo $19.95 to fight this fight. He's got he's making several million, if if not neighborhood of 15, 20 million or more. So I, I think it's very realistic, and we'll probably find out the pay-per-view numbers, that this has at least a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. And it may have more than that. And that's worth money to them. So they're smart to grab that right now in a pandemic when they wouldn't have maybe had it otherwise because you're absolutely right. I was just joking with you guys off the air. I've got a father in his 70s. He's a huge sports fan, uh, et cetera. He's got some tech savvy. He could not begin to tell you how to download DAZN and how to get the app and how to get it all set up for Saturday night. But I guarantee you in seeing the ad through his cable provider, uh, through his digital provider, he might be inclined to punch the yes button and and pay the seventy bucks and watch the fight yeah. on set. And, and there are a lot of people older that are like that. And DeZone is essentially making a concession. We understand there are enough Canelo fans that are maybe older, want to have people over to their house, don't know how to fool with our app. Let's take the money from them if we can get the money from them. Let's take it from them. There's my uh, my two yeah, cents on and, that. And, and, I think you're 100% right, TJ. And one other thing to keep in mind, this is kind of bracing people for when the Joshua Fury fight is put together, which I think that it will be at this point, because that fight is going to have to be on pay-per-view. Look, there's no way around it. There are too many television networks involved, and the zone will be involved in some capacity, but that fight is going to be on pay-per-view in the UK and in the US because they'd be leaving entirely too much money on the table if it were not. So they're going to be involved in that fight, and they already look. They're going to take criticism for it in that case. So they're just going to start taking criticism for it now. But as you said, TJ, it's all about the almighty dollar, and you know while they have to split, I don't know what the exact split is with the cable and satellite operators for this fight, but typically it's about fifty-fifty. Right. Um, so they get fifty percent of the revenue that they get from the pay-per-view, and it's and for for them in this case when you're paying Canelo Alvarez somewhere close to $25 million for this fight. It's found money, and you just throw it all into the pot and help pay them that way. There we go. And so there's some more insight from Keith that it may be that high on on the money they've put out there in front of him, and they're trying to make it back however they can. I was just jokingly thinking this. I talk about it all the time. Marquise and I joke about the the great line from the the movie All the President's Men, Robert Redford, uh, Dustin Hoffman. I'm older than Marquise, but Keith knows this movie too. Follow the money from Woodward and Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Follow the money. Yeah. Which way is the money going? Uh, and show me the show me the uh, the promotion, the fighter the network that leaves money out there and doesn't go grab it and i'll show you the first promotion the first fighter the first network that leaves money out there and doesn't go grab it so they're they're trying to go and and grab it uh great stuff keith we'll be reading you on boxingscene.com in the preview mode leading to saturday depending on when they're hearing us the recap mode all of this uh hang in there brother with groundhog day at another at another hotel and quarantine we feel we feel for you we got to get you down 
down here to Florida where Marquise and I are so you can enjoy, enjoy outside sunshine even in the wintertime, that kind of stuff. <laughs> we got to make that happen for you. You're great to join us, though, here Absolutely. on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast, brother. Hey, thank you very much for having me, guys. I might even jump into the river by Sunday. Who knows, you know? <laughs> we'll see. And there he goes. We do wish Keith uh, Eidick, uh well. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to him covering the fight. Marquis, that was tremendous stuff. Love, uh, love the insight from on scene there. And I, I hope we get a good one. We'll get into that a little bit more when we get into the odds here in a few moments. I, I think this is anticipation here of what Canelo will look like. Do you agree, just real quick, that we may see... Alvarez, in particular, take a little while to close the distance. We were talking about that uh, back at the beginning of the podcast with David Payne against that reach and that height. This might take rounds, a few rounds, before we see Canelo be able to consistently get inside uh, of him. Do you kind of buy into that a little bit, like what we were talking about with Keith? I do, TJ, and I do agree with Keith when and he's, when Peyton, when David Payne when he mentions that as well. The one thing about Canelo fights, TJ, and Let's be honest, guys. These last few Canelo fights have been kind of slow starters to begin with, and they kind of fringe on the line of boredom, and especially the Daniel Jacobs fight, for example, TJ, where it took him a couple of rounds to figure it out. But at the end of the day, Canelo just finds ways to win rounds to win these fights. Same thing to do with Kovalev, where it took him a couple of rounds to figure it out, and then Kovalev tired himself out, and then he got knocked out. Yep. So I don't expect that to happen in this go-around with, with Smith, but it is going to my new boxing cliche, TJ, that I want to go away for to be stuck in 2020 when the new year arrives is downloading information. I need that to go away like real fast <laughs> in, the, in the list of boxing cliches, and you're, you're probably going to hear that on the broadcast by Brian Kenny calling it on the show on Saturday night uh, in terms the, of waiting the Canelo is downloading information on Callum Smith to get it all yeah. uh, figured out, and he will have to try to get it uh, figured out. All right, so more on that fight card in a moment. We turn because we're part of the Sports Gambling Podcast, their network of shows uh, here with Big Fight Weekend. We love the uh, the odds and the angles and the wagering uh, that go into the fight, so we'll delve into that a little bit with our sponsor, MyBookie.ag, uh, sponsors with the Sports Gambling Podcast, SportsGamblingPodcast.com. Friday night fight card, depending on when they're hearing us, you may already know the result of Friday night's IBF middleweight title fight, 160-pound title fight, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin against uh, Polish opponent Camille Serezmeta is, uh, is the opponent. Uh, Golovkin minus 2,500 for Triple G, so he is an overwhelming favorite to win this one in the main event. Quick thought, Marquise, on this one uh, from the Seminole Hard Rock Casino, South Florida, not far from where you and I are doing the podcast in the Sunshine State. They could left this card elsewhere, TJ. This this main event uh, for Golovkin, great to see the big drama show back in action, but unfortunately it's an IBF mandatory, and the best the IBF has to offer guy uh, for everyone, TJ, is a guy who has five knockouts and, and 21 wins, and is more than likely going to get knocked out by Golovkin, regardless of what state we may think he's in. Uh, the one thing of <laughs> note, TJ, that I want to mention as well on this card, and like especially the cards this weekend, the IBO is involved with this card, TJ, because that belt's on the line as well at 1-6 that Golovkin has as well. And I always wondered how they find a way to weasel themselves back into some of these sanctioned bouts. It cracks me up. But, no, long story short with Golovkin, Golovkin... If you're willing to wage your money on it, there's no money to be made on this fight. I don't think Sermenta has the firepower or the ammo to, to pull off the upset. This, this, this isn't Devrachenko he's going up against, TJ. This is even Steve Rolls he's going up against. Mm. So Under I, I over is five and a half rounds for Golovkin, Sarazmeta. You Do you believe it sees the sixth round or over before then? What's your hunch? 
thankfully, TJ, this this fight starts uh, eight o'clock our time on the eastern eastern time zone uh, for the zone, and I don't think it goes past eight thirty. <laughs> we'll be over with quickly on the Friday night. And again, you may already know: Did it go the distance? Did something happen with Golovkin? He is thirty nine years old now. Uh, you know, getting up there in years. Don't ask him about Canelo Alvarez. He said that all week. Don't. He doesn't want to talk about that anymore uh, for a third fight. Uh, with that bad blood. So anyway, that's the Friday night Matchroom to Zone Fight Card Part 1, Hollywood, Florida, Seminole Hard Rock Casino. Alamo Dome, Saturday night. We've talked a lot about Canelo and Callum Smith. More on that in a second. Anything on the undercard that intrigues you out of that uh, that Matchroom Saturday night show in Texas? Only one card, TJ, and it's mainly because the card that was supposed to be on the co-main event of this, uh, my uh, Julio Cesar Martinez uh, was uh, was was injured and he got he, he was pulled. He was supposed to be the co-main event of this, but the one matchroom prospect to keep an eye out, TJ, is a uh, middleweight prospect Austin Amo Williams. He's in action on this undercard against Isaiah Jones, who's been on some of these top-ranked bubble shows during the year. That's intriguing to see how that how he looks. Uh, outside of that, TJ, this is for all intents and purposes, TJ, another matchroom card in the USA. <laughs> There you go on that one. Canelo, by the way, again on the MyBookie.ag odds, minus 700 to win. Callum Smith might be a tasty underdog at plus 475. As David Payne said, he's coming to fight. Keith Eidek just said the same thing to us here on the latter part of the podcast. And Smith unbeaten, punching power. So, uh, I mean, it's not beyond the realm that he could catch Canelo with something, hurt him, cut him, uh, etc., uh, interesting, the under-over is nine and a half rounds on this one. If you were looking for an underdog prop to play, it might be Canelo. Put a little money, uh, I'm sorry, on uh, Callum Smith to win by knockout. He's plus 750 to win by knockout stoppage or DQ on the odds. Alvarez, uh, by the converse, is minus 110. He is favored to win this thing by knockout or stoppage. Uh, interesting on the rounds that the under over on the rounds is nine and a half. I might be inclined to go over the nine and a half rounds in this one, Marquise. I would be too, TJ. And actually, uh, Callum Smith, in terms of underdogs, in, in terms of the prior Canelo fights, this isn't Kovalev, this isn't Jacobs, this isn't Rocky Felding, as Keith mentioned uh, earlier. This isn't Amir Khan. This actually is an, uh, a live underdog. And depending on what version of Callum Smith we get, TJ, that may be a solid play, only in terms of. The Callum Smith that fought, uh, that fought uh, John Ryder and arguably lost, not so much. But the one that currently has this belt that knocked out George Groves in that World Boxing Super Series yep. tournament back in the day, that's the one that may give Canelo problems. And that's the reason why I think that's a solid play. And I do think this fight goes the distance, as Keith mentioned as well, only because even if it doesn't, it, probably, it goes over uh, the, the nine and a half. You knocked out Kovalev in the 10th round. So right. there alone is what, all I need my end for that part of it easily. And, of course, we've got a little family revenge. We haven't talked much about that in the podcast because Canelo beat Liam Smith, Callum Smith's older brother, earlier in their careers by, I believe, a ninth-round stoppage. So a little revenge factor for Callum Smith in this one. We shall see. It's an intriguing night and main event with an atmosphere. Uh, again, I, I, we can't stress enough how excited we are. I know the Joshua Pulev had a 1,000 fans in the Wembley Arena, and they made some noise when Joshua was scoring the knockdowns, Marquise. That is not going to be the same as the roar when Canelo comes out with the mariachi band and the Mexican music and the whole thing. <laughs> Southwest uh, flavor there in Texas, and there's 15,000 roaring and everything that he does. There will be a true atmosphere in that Alamo Dome one more time, Marquise, for anything Canelo does, obviously. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, TJ. It's going to be for a Canelo Canelo home fight. Uh, it's going to be the closest thing he's going to get to a Las Vegas event for him on, in terms of rollout and just everyone going to beat her. That and also the fact that uh, Callum Smith, as we mentioned earlier, has no fans traveling from the UK due to the travel restrictions more likely just to see him support him for this I fight. believe there will be some. I don't think there will be a thousand. There might not even be 300, but there might be a couple of hundred British fans or 150 that live in the United States that are fight fans because, uh, again, uh, you know, we got fans all over the world that are reading our website, bigfightweekend.com, that are theoretically hearing us on the bigfightweekend.com press uh, 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 podcast that hear us in the UK, hear us in Europe. Got a lot of fans in England. Uh, they know this. There are a lot of transplanted Brits that are here on work visa or, or whatever the case is in the United States uh, that are British, that are fight fans, that are sports fans, and they can navigate and get to Texas and get to this fight. And so I would anticipate... You're not going to hear big roars if he does anything, but it will not be library silent if he's doing okay. anything. There will be some <laughs> singing and some chanting. I fully expect that. I'm not there. I have no way to know this, but that's my educated guess, Marquise. He'll have a little bit of fan base. There'll be somebody there, TJ. I'm just thinking on my end. That little chair, you know, it reminds me of like when you go like to a sporting events and like you're shooting for the wrong team and you just get drowned by the team that has everybody there. It's going to be kind of like that. <laughs> The best, the best analogy that I can give to that for the American sports fans, uh, it's pro- it's probably, it, you know, it's the same in about any regular season situation that's not the NFL. If you go to a game in the NHL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA in professional sports, and it's a regular season game, and you are the road team, other than like the players' wives and girlfriends, there's almost nobody there clapping for you. It's very rare. Now, I will yeah. say the difference is like when the Yankees or the Red Sox are, are playing as the road team, they will have fans there. The Dallas Cowboys will obviously have them there. But when you start going down the laundry list of these teams, when the, when the Buffalo Bills, let's say, I'm just picking them out, are on the road, they don't have a lot of fans there. When the when the Minnesota Timberwolves go to go to play the Phoenix Suns, they don't have a thousand people, three hundred <laughs> people, two hundred people root for the Timberwolves. It just doesn't happen. So that's the best way that we can equate it. We'll see. We'll see if any noise uh, is made. Did I sneak a prediction from you on Canelo Callum Smith and how it ends on, on Saturday? Marquise John, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com. Before we get out of here. Absolutely, TJ. I think uh, Canelo wins by decision one way or another just because Canelo wins by decision. Always seems to uh, in some of these. And, and, and Keith made a great point that even in the Mayweather fight that Mayweather was dominating, uh, he ended up getting a draw on one <laughs> judge's card on that one. Callum Smith's got to know that. It's one of those where, hey, I'm not going to get I'm I, I am I am not going to get two of the votes here more than likely. I am going to have to be decisive, if not score a knockout. Uh, here to be able to get this and to get the knot. We'll see what happens in this one coming Saturday. Marquise, great stuff. We'll be reading in the preview mode and the recap mode, not uh, not just the Canelo-Callum uh, Smith fight, but the Friday night fight, depending again on when they hear us. You may already know the result if you're listening to us on Saturday of Triple G's title defense uh, with Camille Sarazmeta 
the uh, the uh, the Polish IBF contender opponent. It's a look, look it's a mandatory fight. Canelo or a uh, rather Triple G should win it easily. We'll see, but you're going to have it preview mode, recap mode, same thing with the Canelo card. And also you're intrigued by the Showtime PBC card that will also be coming off Saturday night. Premier Boxing Champion Showtime Network card including Jerron Boots Ennis. You've been writing about him on the website this week. Boots Ennis undefeated welterweight Philadelphia. He's worth keeping an eye on as well and you'll be writing about him as well this weekend, right? Absolutely, TJ. BigFightWeekend.com, as, as you all know, your source for all things boxing news and recaps. Uh, spoke with two Jerron Ennis earlier today about uh, the fight against Van Hurden, and, 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 and he's not looking at this as a step-up fight, TJ. He's looking at this as a fight to make a statement. And it's interesting uh, as well, the greatness of the IBO was involved with this fight, TJ. This is the belt <laughs> that Sebastian Formella dropped uh, at right. 147 to, to face uh, Sean Can Porter. I just tell you, this is the second time you've worked the IBO uh, the International Boxing Organization, into the podcast here as if it is actually worth something. They thank you. I don't know if they're spiffing you with any coin or anything, but come on. Ennis has got to go after one of the legitimate organization's belts, and he's got a lot of talent. He's got some reach. He's got some power with either hand. It'll be fun to see what he can do as uh, as that fight, that co-feature fight, uh, unfolds. They've had a lot of problems with COVID-19. Uh, Xing out a, uh, a championship fight that was going to be the main event there for PBC and Showtime. You feel for them uh, because, again, we've been dealing with this for months uh, on fighters and trainers and those connected testing positive short uh, short term before the fights. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. So hopefully everybody stays healthy. Uh, not just with the fight cards, but all of you that are listening out there during the holiday season. Marquise, keep up the great work. Keep writing away at BigFightWeekend.com, sir. Absolutely, TJ. And also, there's one quick note when I spoke to Ennis about uh, that the belt itself. Uh, he, he, he joked about Stephen Fulton because when he won it, that he put the, a billboard up in Philadelphia that showed him with the belt. Ennis isn't quite doing that once he wins this on Saturday night. But Not expect, the uh, IBO belt. Take a billboard no. out if you at least win the WBO belt, which is like the fourth place belt. But if you yeah. get the WBC strap with the green strap, okay. Yeah, you can put, take the billboard out then. I love yeah. that. Follow him at Week Sauce Radio uh, on Twitter. Great follow for all the fights this weekend. And uh, read him up on BigFightWeekend.com. Marquise, thank you as always, my friend. Thanks, DJ, so much. Thank you to David Payne back with us earlier from the U.K., from England, the boxing writer, boxingwriter.co.uk, writing in advance of the fights this weekend. What will happen with Callum Smith? How big of a shot does he have? To beat Canelo Alvarez, we'll find out. Also, Keith Eidek, BoxingScene.com, uh, with us. We'll be writing up in the preview mode and the recap mode the Canelo Callum Smith fight Saturday night. Read Keith on BoxingScene.com all the time. For now, we are done. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We come to you in the preview mode. As I said, Marquise, to David Payne, if Canelo is shocked and beaten and Callum Smith wins, we may be back with a recap podcast. If not, we'll come back in one more time Christmas week uh, here, uh, ending up the uh, ending up the year and be previewing everything for next weekend, whatever's out there for next weekend. Stay tuned, though. If Canelo is upset, if Callum Smith pulls the upset, we may be back quicker. For now, we're done. Subscribe to the podcast. You get it whenever it's out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Thanks again to SportsGamblingPodcast.com and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows. Sean Green, Ryan Kramer and company have us on their network of shows. We love that as part of Big Fight Weekend. For now, we're done. For Marquise, I'm TJ. Enjoy the fights, and thank you for being with us on Big Fight Weekend. Bye.